My grandpa is 96 years old, and he's, uh, his health's starting to fail. Um, so I've, I've started thinking a lot, about, a lot about him and a lot about just growing up and, and stories that he would tell. He, he fought in World War II. Uh, he was a veteran. He was a medic in World War II. And that's really all I know about his service. I, I, I know a few other details, but not many. Because any time I would bring it up or, or talk to him about it, uh, he would be very vague, and he would he would answer some questions, or sometimes he would just not not answer questions. Um, and it's it's something that he and, and a lot of people, frankly, that that fought in World War II, a lot of people of that generation uh, did is they just compartmentalized it, and and there were things that that once the war was over, they wouldn't. They wouldn't really discuss, and they wouldn't go into detail, and uh, that's just something that that he's never done. He's never really gone into detail uh, with me about his time serving our country in uh, World War II, and and one of the, one of the reasons for that is sometimes things that people encounter, sometimes things that people see are so horrendous, they choose not to not to discuss them. They just they just choose not to not to bring them back up. And this morning, we're going to be looking at probably the most disturbing uh, passage of Scripture. It's certainly one of the most, if not the most. And I'm willing to bet you probably haven't heard a, heard a message on it before. I, I know I haven't. Um, but even in this horrendous, horrendous thing that we're going to see, God has a lesson and something that he wants us to take from it. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning. We'll be in the Old Testament book of Judges, in the Old Testament book, Judges, and Judges 19. And we'll start in verse 1, where we read these words. In those days, when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, the first thing we have to see is this phrase that we see repeatedly throughout the end of the book of Judges. And it really becomes the theme of the end of the book of Judges, and that is this, in those days when there was no king in Israel. So where we are, God has delivered his people Israel into the promised land. He's given them the promised land, and they are now residing within the land that he has promised them, but they do not have a king ruling over them in official capacity. And as a result of that, everyone in Israel was doing whatever they wanted to. Everyone was doing what was ever right in their own eyes. And we see, especially throughout the end of the book of Judges, we see that this theme always ends poorly. It always ends poorly. In those days, there was no king. People did whatever they wanted to do, and the results were not good. And now it becomes personal. Now it becomes personal. Now we go from the national level to the personal level. And here we have an individual, a Levite, who is out and he sees a slave girl and he says, you're going to be my wife. And she doesn't really have a say in the matter. And that wasn't all that uncommon in that culture and in that society. 
So he sees her and he says, you're, you're going to be my wife. We're going to be married. He takes her as his wife. And now we get even more personal where we read verse 2. And his concubine was unfaithful to him. And she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there some four months. So he takes his wife and his wife cheats on him habitually habitually commits adultery, and then she runs away, and she ran away back home. There's something here that that I just want to talk to to those of you who are engaged or or newlyweds watching online here today. I, I just want to encourage you with this. One of the things that you need to put into practice very early on in your relationship is when you have trouble, and you will have trouble, when you have trouble in your relationship, you have to learn to work it out with your spouse. You cannot, every time you have trouble, run back to your family and run back to your friends and start to badmouth your spouse. And, and, and they can't vice, you know, do the same, vice versa. You have to learn to move beyond the problems together rather than this idea of of fight and then flight. So we're going to fight in our relationship, then I'm going to withdraw to my family and to my friends, and and the other person's going to withdraw to their family and their friends, and, and that doesn't happen here. And so we just see a very broken picture. We see a fractured relationship. It's very broken. And now she's she's been in her parents' house for four months after cheating on him repeatedly, And then her husband arose, verse 3 says, and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. So her husband pursues her. He pursues her. He says, I want to be reconciled. And he goes to her family's land. He goes and he pursues her. She invites him in, and they reconcile their broken relationship. They reconcile their broken relationship. And now he's spending time with his in-laws, and there's a party. Her, her dad is happy that they've been reconciled. He's happy that they've reconciled. They're having a feast. They're having a party. There's reconciliation. There's something to celebrate here. The relationship has been restored. All is good. All is good. It's, it's, a, it's a positive thing. And on the fourth day, they arose early in the morning and prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to spend the night and let your heart be merry. And when the man rose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day he arose early in the morning to depart, and the girl's father said, Strengthen your heart and wait until the day declines. So they ate, both of them. They're enjoying a feast and the reconciliation of the relationship. Everything, everything's going on here. Everything's good. They're enjoying all of this. And when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day has waned toward evening. 
Please spend the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry. And tomorrow you shall rise early in the morning for your journey and go home. But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys, and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over, and the servant said to his master, Come now, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. So there's a lot of celebration going on. There's a lot of celebration going on with the in-laws. A lot of celebration going on with the in-laws, and some of you know exactly what that's like. Too much celebration going on with the in-laws. And if you don't, don't worry. Thanksgiving's coming up, so you'll be reminded of it. Just a little too much celebration with the in-laws. And the in-laws are like, stay, stay, stay a little while longer. He's like, nope, I've had enough. Have you ever noticed in a relationship that one of you, you're like, bye, see you, love you, and you're good to go, and the other one in the relationship, it's like saying goodbye to family is a three-hour process, and everybody needs hugged repeatedly, and you can't just get out of the door. It's like that in our relationship, two hours before we need to leave. I tell Brooke, it's time to go. I know I'm not going anywhere for two hours. I can finish the football game, but she needs to start her goodbyes, and I'm going to be there for two more hours. So he's... He's there, and he's just said, all right, I've had enough. I've had enough of the in-laws. <laughs> like to say hi to those of you watching from Ohio. I love you very much. So, but he's just like, enough. We've had enough. We're not staying any, any longer. We're not staying any longer. We, we're leaving. We've had enough. And his in-laws are like, but it's getting late. And he's like, I don't care. I don't care. We are leaving. We've, we're going. We've had enough. We've had enough time here. It's time to go. And so they leave. And now, the, now they're tired. They're tired from their journey. I mean, just think about this. You got on the, you got on the road later than you want to, and any of you who's, who's ever led a road trip, dads, I'm talking to you, you know exactly what he's thinking because you're, you wanted to leave two hours ago, and everybody's just now getting in the car, and your whole, your whole map that you had planned out, it's now shot. I mean, all of the, all of the stops that you had, we're going to stop here for lunch, stop here for dinner, we're going to make one bathroom break at approximately 3.30, and we'll hit this rest. I mean, that's all now completely gone. It's all gone. And the party's tired. And one of the, one of the servants says, hey, we're here in, in Jerusalem. It was called Jebus at the time because the Jebusites lived there. He said, hey, we're, we're in Jerusalem. Let's just, let's just spend the night there. And his master, verse 12 says, said to him, we will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel but we will pass on to Gabeah. And he said to his young man, Come and let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night at Gabeah or Ramah. So they passed on and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gabeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gabeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. So they were in Jerusalem, Jebus at the time, and he says, this, we're not staying here. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. I know, I know it would be more comfortable to stay here. We're not staying here because this is a pagan city. This is a pagan city. 
This, these aren't the Israelites. They, they don't reside here. So this isn't safe. This isn't where we're going to spend the night. Gabeah, we, we'll go there. I mean, it's populated by our people. It's populated by God's people. The Israelites are there. The Israelites of the tribe of Benjamin, they're in Gabeah. So, so we can go to Gabeah. Now, remember, hotels, hotels were not an option. It's not like today where you see just a plethora of hotels and you have your choice based on star level and how much you want to spend on where you're going to spend the night. It's not like that. There are no hotels. People are just getting established in the land. People are just establishing households and cities. And so people regularly took in strangers. And so they made it a special point. Let's go to Gabeah. We won't be amongst the pagans. We'll be amongst God's people. And, and that's where we'll spend the night. Somebody will take us in there. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim and was sojourning in Gabeah. The men of the place were Benjamites. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going and where do you come from? And he said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem to, Judea, to Judah to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, from which I come. I went to Bethlehem and Judah, and I am going to the house of the Lord. But no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys, with bread and wine for me and your female servant and the young man with your servants. There is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be to you. I will care for all your wants, only do not spend the night in the square. So an old man comes along and he sees their needs because they're in the middle of the city. Nobody's taking them in. They're going to spend the night in the middle of the city. Nobody's taking care of them. They've gone to the city because they're going to be amongst God's people, the Israelites, and they're in the middle of the city and nobody's responding to their need. And an old man sees it and he says, I've been working all day, but I'm going to meet your need. How do we respond when we see a need? How do we respond when we see a need? One of our desires at Lakeside is that we would be a church that is incredibly generous. That we would be a church that is incredibly generous. We want that to define us. That when people think about Lakeside, they think of a church that is incredibly generous because we have been given so much by God. Because we've been given so much by God that must flow through us and out of us that we are incredibly generous because of all that God has given to us. And so one of the ways that we want to do that in a very real and tangible way as you, you heard it announced last week, and you heard it a little bit more announced today, is starting next week through the Sundays in November, we're going to be doing a food drive here at Lakeside. We're asking you, if you can, to bring in non-perishable food items that we're going to collect and distribute to people who are in need. And if you are part of Lakeside and, and there's a need in your life and you need help, there is no shame in that whatsoever. Ever. This is available to you. No questions asked. If you know of somebody who's in need, this is available to them. No questions asked. There is no shame. There is no stigma surrounding this. 
We understand that this year has been incredibly difficult. It's been incredibly difficult for people. By the grace of God, a lot of people who call Lakeside home haven't suffered a job loss. But sadly, some have. And gone are the days where we can just say, well, there are plenty of opportunities available because there are plenty of work opportunities available in our region. That's true. However, there's a lot of variables now that are in play that haven't that haven't historically been in play. And so gone is the time where, where we can just say, well, just go get another job because of school schedules and everything else that people now have to factor in with the ongoing pandemic. It's not as simple as telling people to just go find another job. It's a lot more nuanced than that now as a result of everything that's taking place. And so we understand that in our community, there is a very real need. And we, as people who've been given more than we could ever hope to repay as a result of all that Jesus has done for us, we want to meet people's tangible needs. And so starting next week, we're going to do a food drive, and we're asking you, bring in non-perishable food items. And if you're somebody who's part of the Lakeside family and you have the need, there is no shame in asking for help. So don't you dare hesitate for even one second saying, hey, I, I need some help. And we will happily meet that need for you. And then we're going to meet the needs of anybody that you know as well who needs food. And then whatever's left is going to go to the community, community food bank. Because we understand there's a very real need right here amongst people in our region. So we want to respond to meet that need. Because we want to meet t people's tangible needs. But our goal is to meet people's greatest need as well. And, a, and even more than a need for food is the need for people to be reconciled to their creator. It's for them to be reconciled with the God who loves them and created them and sent his son to die for them so that they could have a restored relationship with him. And we don't just want to we don't just want to give people food food. We want to help people every step of the way. We want to come alongside them and help them understand how to use and manage money according to God's plan. So that when you have resources, you understand that you save and you give and you spend. That's God's plan, but you have to have a plan for the resources that God entrusts you with. And so we don't just want to hand people food. We want to walk alongside of them every step of the way. But in order to do that, we sometimes need to meet their tangible needs right where they are in their moments of desperation. So I'm asking you, if you can, if you can, please join us in this endeavor. And if you have the need, then by all means, there is no shame in that, but let us come alongside of you in helping you through that time. But how do we respond when we see a need? Then verse 21 says this, So the old man brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed, and they washed their feet, and they ate, and they drank. The old man meets the needs of the gentleman and his wife and his servant of the, of the traveling party. He invites them over. They come over. He takes care of their animals. They're eating. They're drinking. 
Everything seems to be going well. It seems like we're on our way to a great story with a satisfying ending. That here was somebody who was in need. Somebody came along. They served that person. And look at what happens when you meet the needs. Look at how you can bless people. But the story continues. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly, since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. He invites the, he invites the man and his wife and his servant over to his house, the old man does. He's, he's fed them dinner. They're drinking. He's met all of their needs. He's given them a place to stay. And a gang from the city surrounds the house. They beat on the door and they yell to the old man, throw the guy that you invited over outside so we can gang rape him. That's the scene. That's the scene that Judges 19 describes for us. This is horrifying. And it's basically a repeated scene that we saw earlier in Scripture from Genesis, from Genesis 19, when Lot had the angels over, and the town did the same thing. They assembled together, and they made the same demand of Lot and the angels. And the old man, he refuses the mob's request. He refuses the mob's request. But then he continues. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you, but against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. Now let me be perfectly clear. Let me be perfectly clear. Just because Scripture records something, just because Scripture records something does not mean that Scripture permits something. And just because Scripture records this does not mean that Scripture permits this. This is abhorrent. This is abhorrent. This is, this is a violation, and it grieves God, and it grieves the heart of God. This is horrendous, and it is evil. It is horrendous, and it is evil. And just because it's reported does not mean that Scripture permits what he just did. In the fear, in the fear of the men, they offer up their daughter and their wife to be raped by this crowd. And again, this is a flashback to Genesis 19, where we saw the same thing occur with Lot. When we don't know what to do, in times of fear and uncertainty, when we're unsure of, of what to do, we fall back on what we've heard and what we know. It doesn't make it right, it's just what happened. 
Here the men are afraid and their response makes no sense to us. And it shouldn't make sense to us because it doesn't make sense. And in their fear, they say, we'll protect ourselves. But here, take my daughter and his wife. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. The men from the town refused the offer. They refused the offer. And they still want to rape the man who was the traveler. And what does the traveler do? He takes his wife. And he throws her outside to be viciously attacked. Husbands, when Ephesians 5 talks about loving your wife, it says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yes, Ephesians 5 is talking about putting the needs of your wife before your own. But if you are ever in a situation, if you are ever in a situation where her physical safety is in jeopardy, you put yourself in the line first. That is your God-given responsibility, and that is the vow that you made on the day that you got married. He doesn't do that. He sees the crowd. And he throws his wife out to the crowd. And she is victimized repeatedly. And when the day breaks, the crowd that has raped her runs off. And she dies. And we come to this point where we have to confront the truth that there is evil in this world. There is evil in this world. And sadly, it's nothing new. And sadly, there will continue to be evil in this world until Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom, which he will rule and reign forevermore. But until that point in time, there will always be evil in this world, and there always has been evil in this world. And her master rose up in the morning. And when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey and the man rose up and went away to his home. The husband starts his day like it's just a normal day. He's left his wife outside to be victimized all night long. And he gets up and he says, get up. 
Let's go. He doesn't realize that she's dead. And his message is, let's get on with our day. Let's go. When she doesn't answer, he puts her on the donkey. And heads home. And somehow the story can take an even darker turn. And when he entered his house, he took a knife. And taking hold of his concubine, he divided her, limb by limb, into twelve pieces. And sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. He dismembers her dead body and he sends it out to all the tribes of Israel. And this started a war because people were aghast at what they saw. And the end of the book of Judges, you see that the the kingdom of Israel, it starts to be a war and because it was a time where there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Translation, everybody did whatever they wanted to do. That's what governed people. That's what drove them. Whatever their desires told them to do, they did. And that is the cultural cry of our society. Do whatever you want. You do you. Whatever feels good. Just do it. And here we see tragically, as we see play out all too often in front of our faces tragically. The end result of that. Of what happens when people do whatever they want to do. When they gratify whatever feeling they have. And do what's ever right in their own eyes. Horrible, unspeakable act. So, what does this mean for us today? Well, first, understand that the message of culture that tells you to do whatever you want to do never ends well. It always ends in a destructive place. That God has put parameters in place for a reason. They're for our protection and they're for our good. And you may not understand all of them. You may not, you may not think even that they're the best. But they are. Second, God is... God has put authority in place to combat the evil in this world. And right now, our culture has declared war 
on these authorities because of horrific actions by a small minority of them. But because of horrific, unspeakable things that a small minority of law enforcement officers have done, our entire culture now has risen up and said, we don't really value these men and women who dedicate their lives to keeping order. And whether you realize it or not, the fact that they are in place, they are established there by God. And so I'm asking you as Lakeside to join us in praying for our law enforcement officers. Because the world in which we live is a very dark place. Nothing is going to change that. But we need people who are willing to serve and to protect. They are in their role because God has placed them in their role. And we need to be people who pray for them and ask for God's protection on them. At the end of the last service, we got to do that with two law enforcement officers who call Lakeside home. I'm just asking you to commit alongside of us to praying for their safety and their protection. Third, if the statistics are true, More than a handful of us who call Lakeside home have been victims of sexual assault. This affects women and men. And if the staggering statistics are true, more than a handful of people who call Lakeside home have been victims to horrific unspeakable acts. And the enemy wants nothing more than to whisper about confusion. The enemy wants nothing more than to make you think it's your fault. To make you think you did something that caused it to happen. To make you think that you have to walk through this isolated and alone that you have to go through this without telling anybody your story and that you have to walk through this journey all by yourself. The enemy wants to keep you isolated. We are a place that says we want you to understand that you don't have to walk through anything alone. And as a church, we will get you whatever help you need. We will introduce you to resources. We will help hook you up with a counselor. Whatever you need, we are here to help you. We are here to serve you. But you do not have to walk through this isolated and alone. We are here to walk with you help you as you hurt, to help you heal. And lastly, this just reminds us of our need for a Savior.
Let this be a sobering reminder to us of the desperate need that our world has for an encounter with Jesus. And let us be people who are resolved to meeting that need and to pointing all we encounter to the hope that is found only in Him. God, I pray I pray that we would be a place where people who have a need find their needs met. And God, I pray that we would meet people's greatest need. And that is to introduce them to a relationship with you. Through your son, Jesus. I pray, God, for the person that is here, the person that's watching, who's been the victim of unspeakable acts, who suffered things no one should have to suffer. And I pray, God, that as the enemy whispers, it's your fault. You did something wrong. You can't tell anybody about this. You have to walk through life alone. That your voice would be louder, God. And that the truth of your love and your goodness and your grace and your care would drown out the lies of the enemy. And that we would be a place that walks through with people through the most difficult situations that life has to offer, full of love and grace, that we would model hope and we would let every person who walks in these doors or streams us online know they do not have to go through life alone. are not isolated. God, this world needs you. We need you. So take us. Take Lakeside. And use us to help the hurting to feed the hungry, to point all to the hope that is only found in a relationship with you, Jesus. Use us in a big and powerful way for your glory, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.